The text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 4, verses 12 through 20. Galatians chapter 4, 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we look at your words that are perfect and true, that come with all the authority behind them as they are your very words, God, I pray that we would believe that these words are sufficient for us, for our lives, that we would... uh, Wait with eager expectation at how you want to use this, Lord, to strengthen our trust in you and our love for you and our love for others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of agonizing things that can happen in a fallen world. There's many things that we hope to avoid, that we may watch someone else go through. And one of these things that I've seen, that I've witnessed, that I pray the Lord might spare me of, is watching a parent of a son or daughter walk away from Christ to live a life in rebellion to God to make destructive choices. Is there anything that can cause a parent more sleepless nights more agony, captivate your thoughts more than a wayward child? If you're going to understand what Paul is saying in this text, you need to view him as a parent of this young church. You know, when uh, at the second biblical counseling training, one of the guys who spoke, I forget his name, but he was uh, 
He's actually kind of a lay uh, biblical counselor. He's a rocket scientist, actually. But uh, he was talking about uh, going into a sporting goods store with his 12-year-old uh, son. And uh, his son was kind of crazy about sports. And uh, so he navigated over to a TV screen that was playing some athletic event. And uh, so while he as the father was just roaming around the store, he kind of knew he was over there. And from about 50 yards away, he saw that uh, sporting event go to a commercial. And the commercial was some risque commercial. Uh, I don't know if it was Victoria's Secret, something like that. But his son, as soon as it came on, kind of put his head down like this and just kind of looked down for a while and then kind of peeked up and put his head down. And as he's telling us this, in tears, he said, I went up to that son and I said, Son, I saw what you did when you turned your eyes away. And God is so happy. You will never regret doing what you just did. Never stop turning away from that. Why all the emotion? Because he sees a young man beginning to have Christ formed inside of him to begin to be matured in Christ. This is why Paul is alive. This is why he exists. This is the purpose for his life, for Christ to be formed in him and to have everyone else come to maturity in faith in Christ So Paul turns to one main exhortation. The main point of this text, the first main exhortation in the whole letter to this church comes in this text in chapter 4 when Paul says this in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, For I also have become as you are. The point of this text is, be like me. Become like me. Notice he starts with brothers. Brothers. It's this intimate language This love he has for this church. Later in verse 19, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying, Be like me, for I have become like you. We're not going to spend a lot of time on point one because this is what we've been doing for the last four months or six months, however long it's been. He's saying this, I am not under the law. 
I trusted by faith in Christ, though I'm a Jew, and you would expect me to live under the law of Moses, I live by faith in Christ. The strength of his message is this. You're Gentiles. You're not under the law of Moses. Live like me, for I've become like you. He's simply saying and reiterating what we've been talking about, that the Christian, the true child of God, the true son of Abraham, is the one who lives by faith and not by works. That is who the child of God is. So Paul says, become like me. And the rest of the three points is nuancing what it looks like to become like the Apostle Paul, to come to maturity, to have Christ formed inside of us. Look at point two. Become like Paul again and walk in step with the Spirit. Here's what he says. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. In the past, when I first showed up to preach to your, to you, before there was a church, when I came and preached the gospel to you, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So Paul had some bodily ailment. People guess what it is, nobody knows. But he came and he was sick and he was weak in the flesh. And for Paul, the fact of weakness is always a point of opportunity for God to do a mighty work. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what you would think. If God's going to send a messenger, he's going to be healthy at least, right? You want a messenger that has full strength, full health, Paul shows up with a bodily ailment. Now to help you understand how Paul views this, because it's absolutely essential to his theology of the gospel, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and we're just going to flip through this real quick, and I want you to see what Paul says about his weakness and about the opportunity for the gospel in the midst of it. 2 Corinthians, start in chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so as you suffer like Christ suffered, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience 
when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Paul's saying, I'm going to tell you how much we suffered. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is suffering to the point of wanting to die. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, now listen, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When you're suffering to the point where you're just saying, I want to die, Paul's saying, praise God, you're to the point where now you need to trust in the God that can raise the dead. There is no hope. Now you need a resurrection. Now you are totally reliant on God. Verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he'll, He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. It's interesting. He's saying, pray for me so that when God works through my weakness, people will praise God that you prayed and God answered it. <laughs> Paul's not a normal person. And then turn to chapter 4 and look at verse 7. Paul's speaking of Christ living inside him in the Spirit. In verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. You have a weak jar with the greatest treasure in the world in it to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, if the Apostle Paul was the best speaker you ever heard, was healthy, was dynamic, and everyone would say, of course, the Christian church is growing. Look, he's impressive. He's powerful. He's persuasive. He says, no, that's not how it was. We have this treasure in jars of clay. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to a despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. See, we're, he's saying, we're these weird people that we suffer more than anyone else, but it's as if we're getting stronger in the midst of it. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Christ may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for the sake of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul's telling the Galatian church, he's saying, I came in weakness so that you can receive the blessing. I carried the death of Christ in me so that you can receive the life of Christ in you. Turn to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7. 
Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, he's been, just been shown visions of heaven that no one else has ever seen. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I love God. Even Satan works for God's purposes. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, Paul learned something. God taught Paul something. The weaker you are, the greater my power shines. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, look at verse 10, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I want to ask you a question. At what point do you become content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities? See, we read these words like it's some small thing to become content in these things. But the reason why Paul's content is he knows that in these things, God is going to show Himself more powerful and help more people. For Paul, suffering isn't an odd thing. It's something he comes to glory in and even expect. It doesn't mean it's easy for him. Look at chapter 13, verse 4. He says, For he being Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we... But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul is giving a powerful letter to a church that needs rebuke. And he says, I'm not, I'm not a big threat. I'm not impressive. I'm weak. Jesus in his flesh was weak. They actually nailed him to the cross. He actually died. Christ was weak in the flesh but powerful in life. And Paul says, I'm the same way. When I'm dealing with you, I have the power of life in the message I'm bringing. But I'm not impressive. I suffer. Whether it's physical ailments or something else, Paul was not surprised. And here's why. When he was saved, and God, the Lord spoke to Ananias in a dream, here's what the Lord said to say to the Apostle Paul. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's his commission. 
I saved you, Paul. I called you. I chose you. You're going to be an apostle. I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my namesake so that the Gentiles and the children of Israel will be blessed. He wasn't surprised. So don't take it lightly when Paul here says, says to him, or says to this church, you, you did me no wrong. No, it was because of a bodily ailment. I preached the gospel to you at first. And then he says, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. This is impossible apart from the work of the Spirit. In verse 14 there where it says, though my condition was a trial to you, that Greek word most often is translated temptation. Paul's saying, when I came sick, it was a temptation to you. But you didn't do me wrong. You received me and believed. You know what that was a sign of? The Holy Spirit saved them. Because nobody would believe that this person was a messenger of God if he was unimpressive in the flesh and sick. No one would believe that. But this temptation came. The gospel of life came in weakness. It was unimpressive. And yet, they did him no wrong. They received him in and where it, where it says, you did not scorn me or despise me, the King James Bible says, you did not spit on me. You see, if you were afraid of being, uh, most people believe that if you were sick, a demon was affecting you, there was a curse on you, and you wanted to keep people like that away from you. And he says, when I came, you didn't spit at me to keep me away. You didn't despise me or scorn me but rather you received me as an angel. Supernatural miracle happened in these people. Why did they receive Paul? Why didn't they chase him away? Why weren't they afraid of him? Paul's saying, remember? This was amazing. That's why in verse 15 he says, what then has become of your blessedness? Well, when Paul talks about blessedness in Galatians, he's talking about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in receiving the Holy Spirit. Remember back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He said, I came, I preached Christ to you. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's saying, when I presented Christ, you saw spiritual power come to your life. But now he's saying, what then has become of your bless blessedness? For I testify that you, if it were possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
What he's saying is become like me again. You remember last time when I was unimpressive and you amazingly would have done anything, even gouged out your eyes? Some people say, you know, Paul must have had an eye problem and that's why they would have gouged out their eyes. But it's just a, it's probably more likely just a common saying that they would have, you would have given me the most valuable thing you have. That's how you treated me before. What has become of your blessedness is his question. What has become of this Spirit's work? Because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is the culmination of it is God living inside you. And Paul's, when Paul's saying, become like me, what he's saying is, walk in step with the Spirit and respond to the Spirit in the way that you first did. In the counterintuitive way where you count weakness a blessing and power when the gospel comes. So let me give you a little application. Do not question the truths of God's gospel and his care for his people by the fact that you are suffering. There's a lot of people that think God must be mad at me. I'm suffering. I'm here to tell you something. Jesus Christ suffered more than anyone else. And the Father spoke out from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son. With Him I am well pleased. Practical application. If you are suffering bodily ailment, family dysfunction, you fill in the blank. You don't automatically go to the thought, man, this is strange. I'm a Christian. How could God let this happen? For God likely wants to make His power be more clearly seen through your weakness and your suffering. And it's more of a sign, probably. You sometimes will suffer because you sin. But a lot of times, your suffering is more a sign that you're actually a child of God. Romans 8.15 Paul said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. How do you know when you're a child of God? When the Spirit comes and testifies to your heart that God's forgiven your sins, made you His child, and it's evidenced in that you suffer with Christ. Thirdly, become like Paul in glory in the cross and not the flattery of the enemy. Here's what he says. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So you first accepted me in my bodily ailment, but, but now 
as I tell you the truth? Have I become your enemy? Only their turning from the gospel can account for their defection from him. You see, if they're rejecting Paul, that means they're rejecting his gospel. Schreiner writes, therefore, opposition to Paul is equated with rejection of the gospel. Just as their warm reception of Paul was indication that their acceptance was a saving message. When they received Paul, it was evidence of the Spirit's work in them. And Paul's saying, where did that, where did that evidence go? What happened to the blessing? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And then he says in verse 17, they make much of you, which could also mean they have zeal for you. So these people show up in town, this brand new church, and they say, we love you. We care for you. We want to save you from the Apostle Paul. We're passionate. We have zeal. We're making much of you. But Paul says, be careful. Zeal is not always pleasing to God if it's misguided zeal that is actually seeking to pluck people out of God's church. These are some of the nicest people you've ever seen, maybe. Or at least they're deceptive. You believe they're nice. You see their sincerity. You see their passion. He says, they make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out and make much of them. Here's what he's saying. These false teachers come in and say, yeah, you got to trust in Christ, but you have to add works to it. They look religious. They seem nice. They seem sincere. But Paul says this, what they really want you to do is to leave the teaching of the Apostle Paul, God's Gospel, leave the church so that they can be your heroes so that they can be the ones to say, look at what we did. We came in and saved them out. You're not saved by grace alone. you got to add the law of Moses, they were saying. But really, at the heart of hearts, they wanted to glorify themselves. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2, here's how he speaks of the Israelites that have not received Christ, he says, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. They're passionate, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They had zeal. It wasn't according to knowledge. The righteousness of God, everyone needs to be saved. They thought they could work out by being good enough. Therefore, they didn't receive Christ as their full righteousness. You see, these are deceptive people because they're so nice and they care about us. They've given their life for this. It's ultimately because they want praise. We know this because in uh, chapter 6, verse 12, here's what he says about them. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to, meet, to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, here's the difference between Paul and them. Paul wants to be more humiliated in the eyes of the world so that God can get more glory. The Judaizers want to pull these new believers out of the church so that people will praise and honor and glorify them. Polar opposites. Why do you follow Christ? Which one are you more like? Do you want people to follow you to your ideas, to your man-made rules, to your things? Pull people out of the church? See, these look like good church members. Create divisions over things that seem so spiritual. Paul says stay away from people like that. Paul says be become like Paul, glory in the cross and not in the flattery of the enemy. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, Satan's best strategy is your pride, to play on your pride. He wants you to be glorified. He comes up to Adam and Eve and he's sitting here, did God really say that? Oh yeah, he doesn't want you to be like he just knows you're going to become like him. You think you really got to listen to all of his rules? Really? You can have the glory. You just eat of it. This is how God, this is how the enemy comes to us, flattering us, telling us how great we are, telling us how religious we are. See the sign of the enemy. The Deception, misguided zeal can be deadly and it often draws people away from the church and it's in the name of God. Fourth, become like Paul and long for Christ to be formed in you and others. Look at what he says, verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So let's just stop for a minute. I know there's women in this congregation that are going to feel this illustration better than everyone else. Let me read it again. My little children, for I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. When you get to be nine months, how bad do you want this thing to be over? How about once the labor starts? You want the birth to be over. Paul's saying, be like me. And Paul's sitting here saying, I'm like a pregnant woman in agony and anguish and waiting for Christ to be formed in you. I got word that the Judaizers came in. They're about to take you away from the gospel, take you away to hell. If you're to become like the Apostle Paul, you're not satisfied when a person comes to confess Christ as their Lord until Christ is formed in them. 
till maturity comes, till no longer every wave of doctrine throws them to and fro. False teacher comes in, gathers these people, gets them all worried. He's like a parent who is miserable until maturity comes. Your life is to be a life wanting to see other believers mature in Christ. To trust in Christ, to get saved, and to come to maturity. If there's one thing the American church really missed when it came to evangelism, it was the heart of Paul who was the best church planner, the best evangelist, who wasn't satisfied with a confession of faith. He wants to see a mature, solid church rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, Christ forming up inside them so that they will stand the attacks of the enemy, so that they'll live by faith, not give in to the flattery of self-glorification, but glory and weakness so that God might get glory. If you're suffering, can you be like Paul? Well, maybe I'm sick like this because someone else can be sick like this and I will find comfort from God because God is the God of all comfort and then I'll be able to show them that God is the God of all comfort so that they can be comforted and then they can go do it. That Christ might be formed in us and we could become more and more like the Apostle Paul who wanted to become more and more like his Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to finish by giving you Paul's own words as his heart pours over the church to become mature. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Now listen what he says. But the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, now get this, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know the list of Paul's sufferings, right? The long list of Paul's sufferings. He says, I endure it all for the sake of the elect. For the sake of Christ's church that he's saving and building. Then in Colossians 1, he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body that is the church. He's saying, I'm suffering so that the church may be built up. The only thing lacking in Christ's suffering is that Christ is in heaven and there needs to be someone on earth that has Jesus Christ in them willing to suffer so that the church will be built up. And then He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He power, or that He powerfully works within me. 
His whole struggle was for the maturity of the body of Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 3, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So why does Paul pray? Why does Paul get on his knees and pray? Now listen. From whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know what he's praying? He's praying that all the riches in heaven may live inside you as Jesus Christ sits down inside you and is formed in you. And here's what he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. Jesus is in you, and when Jesus is in you, deep roots go way down so you don't move. And it's roots of love. When Jesus Christ is formed inside His church, inside His people, love roots go down so deep. And this is what Paul's praying for. This is a big mature oak. Or as John Piper would say, it's not like a, you know, a little cattail that gets blown this way and this way. This is maturity. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you may be rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's how Paul prays. God, your love, it's incomprehensible. Give them the strength to know your love. That they may be rooted and grounded and formed into Christ. And here's the last one. I just had too many. I'm sorry, but it's worth it. Ephesians 4.10 he who descended is the one who ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Here's what Jesus gave. Jesus gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? Why does my job exist? Why does Buck's job exist? Why does Scott's job exist? Why does David's job exist? Why does the evangelist's job exist? For this to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is to be equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Become like the Apostle Paul. 
have Christ be formed in you by trusting in Him by faith, by humbling yourself, and then give your life so that other people can be mature in Christ. Father, thank You, thank You, thank You for Your Gospel. We're all sinners. None of us can bring anything that You're impressed with that You might accept us into heaven. So, Father, I pray right now if there's someone here wondering, well, how can Christ be formed in me? Lord, I pray they would know that what it takes is for a person to recognize they're a sinner, that they have no hope, none of their good deeds are going to amount to nothing before You to earn our way into heaven. So, Lord, I pray that they would know the only thing they can do is to turn to You as a beggar and say, Father, save me in Jesus Christ. Let His death be payment for my sin and let His resurrection be my resurrection. Father, I pray that no one in here would leave without trusting by faith in Christ, having their pride humbled, and by being people like the Apostle Paul, seeking to be built up into the likeness of Christ. Lord, I pray you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.